This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with GB sprinter Danny Talbot. He discusses his experiences at Rio 2016 and London 2012, his training environment both in the UK and the US, as well as the challenges he has faced with injury as an elite athlete. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. So, Dan, how are things? Yeah, we're all good. We're all good. Just trying to get by in, in lockdown, etc. But yeah, everything's fine. Thank you. And then, obviously, um, we spoke a little bit before. It's, it's, it's a strange time for everyone. How um, how is this affecting kind of your, your training schedule and whatnot? What, what are you able to do at the moment? Um, it, it is strange. Um, for me, personally, as soon as I had to come back from the state, so... Um, I actually trained out in Texas for most of the year, but uh, I came home for, for two reasons. Firstly, I didn't really want to be stuck out in America. Um, and the second reason is my, my girlfriend's a nurse. And I mean, I, just from the point of view where I, when I was injured for a couple of years, um, she was there every day for me and helped me through all the tough times. And then... Um, for me to, to kind of, I, I want to be there for her as well. So obviously, her being a nurse in these times, she's gonna she's gonna need a lot of support through the summer. So um, that was another main reason why why I had to come back. But I mean, other than that, it's not been too different. Other than the fact that I can't use the track, I can still go and train on grass, and I bought myself a treadmill and some weights. I'm, I'm still able to train every day. So um, it's not been too bad so far. Okay, so. Obviously, the first question is: Assume everything's okay with the girlfriend. She's doing okay considering the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, she's fine. It's um, it's obviously a weird time for her because she would usually work on an elective surgery ward as well, and um, people just don't want to go in for surgeries that yeah. they don't one hundred percent need at that time. So um, the whole hospital is obviously a little bit different. But yeah, her, all her, her and all her friends are in good spirits and stuff, and just helping each other through it and. Thankfully, she's healthy at the moment, touch wood. So, um, yeah, it's all good. Good. And so, obviously, me and you kind of met, I guess, originally when um, at Bath Uni, we were both doing the sports performance course there, which I guess is 11 years ago now. So, quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite a while ago. Um, I guess the first thing for you, do you want to explain kind of what athlete you are, what you do, um, and all that type of stuff? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a track and field sprinter. Um, I specialise in the 200 metres and the 4 by 100 metre relay. Also run 100 metres because of that. It's just good to have that variance within your season. But um, yeah, so I, I started track and field when I was about 15 years old and just fell in love with it straight away. Um, and that just kind of led to, to me wanting to do it professionally and just the kind of classic story really of this dedicated everything to it, worked really hard and then was fortunate enough to be able to become a professional athlete. So I know one of the things we spoke about before is how you used to play football and you kind of gave that up because of people like me that used to give you a little bit of a kick for being so quick if you'd like. Um, I guess the first question is when you were growing up were you always quick? Were you always the quickest in your your friend group, age group, all that type of stuff? 
Um, yeah, from from what I can remember, I mean, at, at primary school there was kind of me and the other football kids. Just, I think you're kind of naturally just when you do one sport, you kind of do them all. And me and my friends who played football, we'd also kind of do the sports games together, and we'd always do whatever the sprint race was, whatever the distance was at the time. But I think I kind of really realised I was fast when I got to secondary school, and um, I was still playing football at the time. I still want to be a professional footballer at that time, but um, I probably I won I would I would have won sports day and did well in kind of the area for West Wiltshire school district sort of competitions. Um, but then I I remember really clearly my PE teacher kind of said to me one day, I mean I must have been 14, so just before I started taking athletics seriously, he said to me, "You're not going to be a professional footballer, so kind of stop having that dream, but you've got a real talent." within track and field and he then signed me up to uh, do like a Saturday morning athletics club at Bath University um, and I wasn't really competing at that time but the training I just fell in love with it. I remember the first time I went to the track it was kind of like I'd met a person then when I went home I missed the track um, for the first like two or three weeks afterwards I just kept saying to my parents I want to go back to the track I want to train um, and it was kind of then that I thought, yeah, I really just want to. This, I want this to be my main sport. So I guess there's a, a debt of gratitude there to the teacher for being that honest with you at the time. I mean, how did you take that at the time when obviously someone's saying to you, "You're not gonna, you're not gonna be a professional footballer, which is what you want to do." However, there's a real possible. I think there's a real possibility of you being good at this. Um, the, the football thing. I, I think at that point, I kind of knew anyway. Um, I mean, when I was I, can't, I must have been in year six, so I guess ten years old, um, that I, I got an opportunity to like train with the Bournemouth Academy. Because um, at the time in the southwest, there wasn't a lot of, of academy football going on. It was either kind of Southampton or Bournemouth. I remember Bristol weren't really doing much then. And I mean, I did a few sessions with them, but straight away I kind of realised right. I'm not going to be a professional footballer. It was always kind of a pipe dream more than anything. So um, when he said it, I was kind of like, oh, I kind of know surf. But, like, <laughs> I didn't take it too badly. But when he kind of really touched me for, for the sprinting, I guess it did give me a lot of confidence. And he's definitely someone, whenever I have to talk about my career or whenever people ask me about it, he's always someone I've, I've always paid tribute to just because if he... I don't know, he just supported me so much. I mean, going through into sixth form, um, as you mentioned, we just sports performance together. I remember at the time, I think you only needed two grades at, at A level. So he kind of went to my head of sixth form and the, the headmaster and kind of said, right, Danny only needs to do two subjects. And if he's allowed to have the third, if you don't have to do the third A level and he gets more time to, to do his schoolwork in school, then he's going to have more time to train outside of school, um, which they then allowed me to do. So I've always I've got a, a massive amount of gratitude towards him because he backed me from the beginning and he made my life a lot easier through school. I guess there's a real good support network there as well in terms of having a teacher who's willing to support you that much and kind of back you that much, as you said, probably does give you the confidence moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And I think... Um, you get a lot of stories about how sports people owe their PE teachers a lot. And um, 
for me, that, that's definitely the case. It, it's kind of a little bit of a cliche story, but honestly, um, but my parents, I know that they were the ones who drive the competitions, and when I couldn't drive, they'd wait up at Bath University for two, three hours, and um, my session finished the drive the home, but definitely my youth teachers a massive support to me as well. So in terms of your, um, obviously you've, you've gone into Bath Uni and you're doing the athletic stuff there. What, who who was coaching you at the time? Um, obviously you, you said that you kind of missed the track and, and whatnot and were really excited to go back. What type of training were you doing? What type of learning was taking place during that time? So when I first initially started, it was more just kind of we did, we did everything. Um, it was just... Uh, a, a club coach, I think it was actually the Wessex and Bath coach at the time, um, which they no longer exist. They joined the city of Bath and became team Bath. But um, it was more just we learned, we learned everything. We learned kind of the basic skills of running, um, the basic movement patterns. We did um, kind of run over mini hurdles. We did long jump. We did um, try to teach us high jump. Uh, it was real just a general approach to track and field that the, the Saturday morning club was mainly to um, just give an introduction to athletes in the local area it wasn't kind of right these four kids are sprinters these four kids are javelin throwers etc etc it was more kind of right we're just going to put everyone together just let them know what track and field is about and just see if they enjoy it and if they, if they would then like to join the proper affairs club afterwards so when did you then begin to specialise? When did you begin to realise actually the 200 or 100, the sprint, sprint events are the ones that I'm, I'm best at, I'm going to be able to specialise in? Um, I think I knew that straight away from year 7 B lessons because we traded javelin and I remember one time, it's actually javelin so high, I remember one time we just learned to do it standard and it twisted in my arm and I hit the back of my head with the back half of the javelin. I think after that, I brought trouble yet, no. Like, I'm, I'm quite fast if I'm going to do athletics, I really like swimming. Um, so, I mean, it was cool to, to go to that, that Saturday morning club and learn all the different things, but there was never a point where I thought I was going to do any other event than, than sprinting. And so then, obviously, as you mentioned there, you've kind of worked your way through the school years, if you like, and then going to sixth form and whatnot, and you're looking at trying to train a little bit more. What... What did that look like for you in terms of your week? When were you going and doing um, classes? When were you training? What did your training look like? All that type of stuff. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to remember back. I think when I hit about... So I met my coach when I was 15 and he coached me for 10 seasons, nine years. I think it was like nine years, 10 seasons in total. Um, and he was an international sprinter himself. So straight away, he kind of got me training probably three times a week from when I was 15 or 16. Um, so that would have been, that was in year 11. I think I probably would have trained like a Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. And then when I hit six form, it went up to four or five days a week. So um, I'd probably, and I started doing gym sessions when, when I hit six form as well. So um, I'd probably do sprint sessions on a Monday with gym on a Tuesday, then sprint again on a, a Thursday, gym Friday, and then run Saturday. Um, so that was always after school, and, and my parents would pick me up from school and take me straight to the track. Um, and I trained with a couple of people from within kind of Bristol, Bath area. 
I think that's a good example of how I got to that point. Um, and then having that, I'd obviously just, because I'd never had any time after school, um, I'd have to do all my homework at, at lunchtime or late night after training. Well, not too late, but it felt later than when I was younger, obviously. But, um, yeah, so it was just, it was a lot, there wasn't as much downtime as what I would have wanted until probably my second year of sixth form when I got to drop a subject, thankfully. But, um, yeah, just kind of a lot of, a lot of hard work either on the track or, or trying to make sure that, that my studies didn't fall behind because my mum's just a classic mum where she's like, yeah, you can do your sport, but you also got to make sure you're doing your homework and you're keeping your grades good. Yeah, I think it's it's good that parents have that ground in and keep you in check, even if sometimes it does cause a few early rises and a few late nights. I was in a similar position. I remember getting up at, you know, half five in the morning to get some homework done that I hadn't done because I've been training like before and stuff. So, so it's a good thing to have. So, I mean, for you, obviously, imagine when you're in sixth form and stuff, you're then kind of going into performance coaches performance environment with other athletes did you mix at all with the university guys and if you did what did that performance like group look like yeah it's, athletics is quite a cool cool sport really because it's not like especially in the uk i mean in the us if you're in university you can only take you can only train with university athletes um and through the age groups it doesn't really matter who you train with it's a sport where if you're fast enough, you just get in whatever race you're fast enough for. Not really. Other than the fact that, obviously, if you're over 20, you can't do junior competitions. But if you're young, it doesn't really matter. You can do, you can train with anyone. You can race against anyone. Obviously, in football, you've got to be really good to step up in a group or two. Um, but yeah, so in, within track and field, I, I trained with, um, who was I think there's a, there's a couple of older guys that we train with every now and then and my coach was young I mean he started coaching me when he was 21 so I was able to train with him a little bit as well and we'd also have the old session where um, Jason Gardner would come to help with my block starts because he was he was world indoor champion and a good friend to my coach as well so I was exposed to like a lot of a lot of different abilities I was exposed to a lot of different personalities which which helped me a lot as a person as well because as a kid I was really shy and and sport and trying to be good at sport really helped bring out my confidence and just my confidence to speak to people and, and really be myself. And then in terms of things you learned, obviously you've mentioned there, Jason Garner kind of came in and did block starts with you. Was there anything else that you learned during that time that has held you in good stead throughout your career? I think that the biggest thing I've learned is just to be myself and not to kind of worry about, I don't know, I, like I said, I was, I was just very shy as a kid and um, I think being in the sporting environment, because I was always fast, um, so even when I played football, it was, uh, at that level, it was easy for me to score goals because you just kick the ball as far as you could, none of us could kick the ball out of play and then I'd be faster than everyone and I could go up and just run past everyone and then score. And... If I was running fast, I'd win races, and I think that just really—I don't know. I think when you when you watch sports on TV and you're young and you see all these confident people and you see someone score a goal and they start dancing and a celebration, or you see you saying "Bolt across the line" and he's beating his chest, and you just put these people on a pedestal. Oh, they're really cool. They're they're 
multi-millionaires, they're dancing when they're scoring goals, they're just cool people and I think maybe me growing up in the southwest and there wasn't many sprinters from the southwest that were kind of from the London area. Um, I think I just became naturally quite shy and not sure of myself in that environment. But then the more I was winning, the more I was running fast, the more I thought to myself, yeah, I deserve to be with these people. It's not about who you are or where you're from, it's about your ability. And I think that just really brought out the more confidence in me and I started to just enjoy being in groups more, I started to enjoy, to enjoy being watched by people more. So obviously if you want to win the Olympic Games, you need to do that in front of 100,000 people watching you. So um, yeah, I think it just it just taught me to be a lot more confident. Did you have any support with that in terms of like psychologists and stuff or not? No, I think it was just a natural thing, to be honest. I think um, the more I felt confident within myself, the more I felt confident just to perform in front of people and just know that I can do this and that I really enjoy doing it more than anything else and taught me that I can be an individual and just enjoy it in any way I want to and not to, not to worry about how, how people might perceive it. I think it was a, quite a natural, natural process to go through. Interesting. The level of confidence you can get from, you know, succeeding and, and doing well or something. Um, so I guess, obviously, you've kind of come through that sixth form phase. And as you said, at this point, you kind of went into Bath Uni, you're part of that university program and, and whatnot. And I guess around this time, you're competing in, in, in competitions, both bucks and whatnot, but then also um probably nationally and internationally in terms of terms of under 23 championships and stuff just want to talk through the process of um how that looked for you during your three years at university and what type of um, competitions you were entering and how you did in those and all that type of stuff yeah so first of all i, I love university i keep i tell everyone i love school as well to be honest, but university for me i i really enjoyed it um even though my parents are from Trowbridge and I grew up in Trowbridge, I thought, right, I'm going to move to the Bath University and go live on campus. And it was kind of a safe way to do it because if I needed to go home, I could. But yeah, I just, I, I loved it as soon as I went there, being independent, meeting new people and, and, and new friends who 10, 11 years later I still speak to now. So um, the whole process for me was, was great outside of the sport as well as, as well as inside sport. But, um, yeah, the competitions are kind of, again, our university is very different to, to a lot of countries around the world. We, we only, we only have one university race indoors and one university race outdoors. Whereas when you look at the American collegiate system, they only really race within college competitions, um, until the end of June. And then if they're good enough, they sign professional contracts and then can compete in Europe. But, we only really had one university competition um, outdoors, and that, that was obviously Bucks, um, which was which was great for me. I think I used to really enjoy the English schools competitions, so to then go straight into Bucks and be in that team environment again was 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 really good, and I think it it helped set me up for just being in, in squads on the international level because track and field is a very individual sport, and most of the season is. You're, as a professional anyway, you're flying to all over Europe to races, you do it to hotels, you, you don't see a city, you just see the four walls in your hotel room and then you go to the track and then fly home and it's all very 
it's still very individual and and a lot of people say it's lonely but it's what you choose to do so I don't really see it as your your lonely but um yeah going through facts was so much fun to run a team and it's just preparing you for for the international championships when you're in a team of 70 as opposed to just traveling on your own and so I'm assuming you used to go with all the other team Bath athletes to a place and then you're all trying to compete and stuff. And how, as you said there, it is an inherently individual sport in terms of athletics. But how did you find that team aspect in terms of supporting one another, particularly maybe if someone's not done as well as they would have liked and you're trying to pick them up or obviously everyone's trying to support you? How was that pr- process for you? Um. To be honest, I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was it's, university athletics is very strange as well because you get to you get you get a couple of different sorts of athletes. You get the athletes that are trying to prepare for the next stage of their career and using it as a stepping stone, which is what I was trying to do. I, I was so focused on being a professional athlete that I was going to this as right. This is the first race of my season, and I want. I'm, I'm just using this to get ready for the national championships and hopefully the international championships. And then you get the kind of student athletes that are kind of, not that they're not taking it seriously, but it's not their priority. So it's kind of like sport is a kind of release from the university academic side. So it was, it was a nice mix of serious athletes, but then athletes who uh, saw it more of, of an enjoyable experience and more kind of a social experience to them so um again that's just completely different to, to what you'd be used to in the professional side of things and it made for a more relaxed team um it made for if you performed well you'd be celebrated more because not everyone's expecting to, to do great so if you do do really well then people people kind of feed up it but at the same time, it's it's nice because it's humbling and you you won't get kind of big headed from it because yeah you've done well and people are celebrating it but at the same time they're more interested in their deadline that they're they're doing some science books and it's not the be all and end all for them so um it's nice that you get that kind of humbling effect as well. Um, did that help you with kind of getting back to the grind after maybe a success as well? Um. I think so, yeah, but but at the same time, the the Bucks Championship wasn't kind of my aim. It was the, it was my season opener, and it was just kind of uh, right where am I at in the season? What what do I need to work on? Um, but also because within track and field, it's it's really difficult to turn professional um, at a young age, and people you get a lot of high quality athletes do do the Bucks Championships because. They're happy for their scholarships, and most most track field athletes will go to university because they're not going to sign a multi-million pound contract like you would in, in football. Or if you're a professional golfer, you can just win a tournament at 18 and, and you're set up for a few years. So, um, whilst it was kind of a season opener, and you're just you're just trying to see where you're at and what you need to work on, you could still I remember one year. Adam Janini turned up to it and won the 100 meters in 10-1, I think, and CJ Uja the next year won 10-1. So, whilst it's a nice season opening, you can still get field athletes who's going to really run fast, especially in the 100 and when you can't take it too lightly. So, I think your focus is always there, and then you always go back to training and work as hard as possible. 
So obviously during these times as well, as you said, it's it's a almost a, a season opener for you, kind of a gauge of all your winter training and all that type of stuff. Um, and during that time, I imagine you're looking for selection to kind of GB camps or, or national looking for national competitions and uh, European championships and all that type of stuff. So during that period from my research it suggests that you, you did well in a couple of the European championships of the under 23s and got a couple of silvers do you want to talk through the process of kind of getting selected for those competitions and, and what, what they were like for you yeah I think that my first championship was the World Junior Championships in Canada in 2010 so that was our first year at the university um, and that was so stressful that was because I'd never competed for Great Britain before and um I remember going to the, the British trials and the British championships in Bedford uh, for the under-20s and that was probably about six weeks after practice as well and um, I just remember being so nervous here. My mum, my dad and myself drove up in Trebridge, put the over trucks in Trebridge and um, went there the night before and I remember not sleeping and then um, I did fine with all the sleeping and I missed breakfast so we had to have a McDonald's breakfast because there was nothing else to have and I was thinking, oh my goodness, way in my life, and I just had a McDonald's, like, everything's falling apart in my world, and I said, oh my god, and then um, we had the first round, and it went really well, and I felt really relaxed, and, and I won my heat, I thought, okay, my nerves had calmed down a little bit, and all these new new feelings of, oh my god, I can make a world champion, a world junior championship team, and I can go and represent my country for the first time, and um, all these things going through my head, and we got to the final, and um, there's, they can only take two to the, to the World Juniors and there's three of us in the qualifying time. Um, it was myself, Kieran Shadow Davis and a, a boy called David Bonner-Rimwell. He was, he was actually a couple of years younger, but he was, he just was, he was just really, really fast and he was there with us. We were 19, I think he was 17. Um, and it came down to the final and me and Kieran came first and second and, the relief that I thought, right, I've made my first, my first team, I'm going to get the kit, I'm going to get my first guest, um, I'm going to go travel to Canada, it's going to, like, all these emotions just came out, and yeah, it was amazing when you're looking back, it was, um, it was a major stepping stone in my journey, and still to this day, one of my favourite competitions I've been to, um, unfortunately, we didn't get the battle round in the relay, um, which at the time was kind of common for British teams as well, so, that wasn't great, and then um, I made the semi-final for the 200, so it wasn't, I, I really wanted to make the final, but I think all things considered, um, it, was really, it was a really good stepping stone to, to what I'd go on to achieve in, uh, in future years. So how did you manage those nerves? Obviously you said there, it's, it's your first competition, first national one where, where there's almost something attainable on the line, if you like. And then you said between the first race and second race that your nerves and stuff had, had reduced. How did you manage to man? How did you manage to manage those, if you like? How did you manage them for the race? Because one of the, the interesting things for me in in particularly the sprinting races is if you have a bad start, either you go too early and you get <laughs> you get the chopper, or you go too late and you're losing ground. That's pretty much you done. So there must have been a way you you've able to kind of maintain your focus enough to get yourself through. Yeah, so I think it was it was mainly my coach. So my coach met us there on the day. Um, 
and he really, my coach Dan Collins at the time, who um, was a student at Bath University and competed for Great Britain as well, and then um, he kind of, he just helped get into my head and even just helped them, um, just made me realise that I've done a lot of hard work and competitions are the part that you should, that you should enjoy. I mean, training is really, really hard. Um, thankfully, like, luckily for me, I, I really enjoy training. I enjoy all the hard sessions and trying to get better each day. But, I mean, when you're doing all these lactic sessions and you finish your session and you're trying to not throw up, um, they're the moments where you go, you go through all those moments. So to, to get to a race and kind of show off what you've what you've done over the winter training months, what you've done through the season. Um, and he kind of just, as best he could, just got in my head and, and made me realise that, I mean, I was still nervous until I actually got onto the track. But um, I think as soon as I started running, nothing else mattered. All I could focus on was putting one foot in front of the other and running was good technique and I couldn't control what anyone else was doing, so I just need to, to do my run at I think it's, even into my senior career, it's the anticipation of races, which I find the hardest. I think once I'm on that start line and once I look around and I'm enjoying the moment, then I, I then relax and usually kind of get the best performance out of myself. Of course, it's interesting, as you said there, almost the ability to show off and show everyone what you've been doing is kind of a a way of looking at it, a change of mindset rather than being something to be scared of something to go actually this is a really good opportunity for me to just show what I can do yeah definitely and one kind one thing I've always lived by especially in my senior career is I never want to go heading for the competition and think oh I've only have to do that again um, unless it was so great and I enjoyed it so much and I want to redo it because it's positive feelings I'm getting but I never want to ever campaign for a race and think I was so nervous in that race that I, I want to redo it because I didn't do my best performance in the day. And I don't mean running a personal best because there's certain things you can't control, but as long as I can give the best performance that I could possibly give in that moment, then I know I can go home happy. And for me to, to be able to do that, it's, I go to the airport, I enjoy the experience of flying. I enjoy the, well, I actually don't like flying, but I enjoy the experience. I try and enjoy it as much as I can, and I enjoy the experience of getting to a new country, getting in a car with some random visa that's going to take me to the hotel. Like All of this stuff, I think, in 20 years when I'm not an athlete, I'll look back and think, oh, all of this stuff was amazing. And I just think I never want to look back and think I want to redo that race because of, because I didn't enjoy it. So um, that's kind of the attitude that I think. Try and take into every race, really. That's good. It's a good way, as you said, that that grounding and humbleness to go. Actually, it's, I'm lucky to be able to come to Canada, or I'm lucky to be able to go and see these places. I imagine puts you far more positive frame of mind when you're looking to compete, for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. Sorry. No, go on, Karen. Yeah, that's just gonna say. I think it's um, it's the way I just try and live live life in general. I think um, especially when you think now, there's so much going on in the world that um, people, it's, it's hard to kind of stay positive, but you just think, oh, for me anyway, like it's, I've had to come home and I can't see anyone other than, than my girlfriend, but then at the same time I'm doing more things with my friends now because everyone's at home and we're not kind of traveling all over the place and just getting more time, so 
yeah, hopefully um, I can just try and continue to just stay positive in everything and just try and enjoy every moment that, that we're given, really. And so then, obviously, you've done Junior Worlds, if you like. I assume that the following year, you're then looking towards the European uh, Juniors? Uh, so that was the European under-23s, yeah. So um, kind of stepped up in age group. So the Juniors is under-20s, and then you've got the under-23s. Um, so, yeah, I kind of went into that year thinking, right, my main aim is to go to Australia for the European under-23 championships. Um but then that indoor season, so the January and February of 2011, it just, I don't know, I just went way better than, than what we could have planned really. Um, I ended up winning the British Championships indoors. Um, it's my first year as a senior. Um, I think I ran the fastest time indoors for about six or seven years at that point as well. And straight away we're like, oh, well, like, I've improved so much within sort of a five-month period, I wonder where this, where this can go. Um, so I went back to train and started the outdoor season, and I'm a 200-meter runner, but my first race was 100 meters, and I ran the Olympic qualifying time for the 100 meters, for, for the 2012 Olympic qualifying time for the 100 meters, and then it kind of all changed for me. I mean, I was, they then put me on like, the front cover of Athletics Weekly, and loads of people interviewing me, they're like, oh, he's this guy, he's only 20 years old. Um, he just ran 10.21, I think it was. I went to number one in the UK rankings as well, Wayne Chambers. Um, and it all kind of changed. And I was aiming for the European Under 23 Championship still, but then it suddenly became a possibility that I could go to the World Championships in, in Davie in South Korea. Um, but that was actually the same time as the World Student Games. So I thought, right, if I make Davie, then that's a bonus that I'm going to focus on the World Student Games and the European Under 23 Championships. And the season went on. I went to the European Under 23 Championships and I came fourth in the 200. I was really gutted, but, um, we then came together as a team and, and came second in the, in the 4x100 relay. Um, and then, yeah, so that was kind of the main part of my season done. I thought, that's great. It's been a good season regardless. And then um, I was getting ready to go to the World Student Games, which was, again, kind of a famous competition because it was so late in the year. But um, it was literally, I was, I'd say I was about an hour away from leaving for the airport to fly to China that I got a phone call from the head sprint coach of British Athletics saying, oh, have you left for the World Student Games yet? I was like, no, no, we're leaving in about an hour. And he said, Okay, I think you should unpack because I want to take you to the World Championships in, in Beijing. And that my, I was just like, oh my god, man. I was just, last year I was doing the World Junior Championships and I was thinking, oh, if I make the Olympics next year, that'll be a massive bonus, but that's not my aim. And now suddenly I'm at the World Championships the year before the Olympics. Um, so yeah, it was, it was all a crazy kind of roller coaster, but, um, yeah, that year was kind of, 2011 was sort of my breakthrough into, into senior athletics. And so how did you deal with all that extra tension? Obviously you said there you're, you're in the front of athletics weekly, you're obviously getting a lot more calls and I imagine a, a lot of people are trying to get hold of you and whatnot. How, how was that for you dealing with that extra media attention? Strange. I didn't really know how to deal with it. Um, at that point like, my confidence is still building but I'm still very shy. Um, I think going to university was helping me as well and meeting new people like that. But then the sprint world is something different. It's, um, 
there's a lot of testosterone, there's a lot of arrogance, there's a lot of a lot of guys walking around with their headphones in, looking down, um, not giving you any any eye contact, not wanting to be friends, and then you go into a call room with them, and then they're looking straight at you, but not saying anything, and always trying to intimidate you. And I still wasn't fully ready for that last level, the extra media attention. And um, yeah, it was. I think it's just something that you just learn to deal with, though. Um, it's something that I ended up enjoying sort of after it was happening. I think at the time I was so nervous doing any interviews, just making sure I didn't want to say the wrong thing and didn't want to be disrespectful to any of my competitors because they were asking me out, how have you got to number one in the company that was in the UK? And I was, I don't know, I'm just training hard and I'm just enjoying it. And I didn't want to say anything out of town that would, that would, when I entered the relay squad, would, wouldn't stand me in good stead. So, um, yeah, the whole thing was just a massive learning curve, but it was kind of just on the job learning and the job training and just kind of, just trial and error really, just have one interview, hope it goes down well, and if it does, you kind of know you're on the right track really. So you didn't get much support in terms of like PR? companies or PR people from from GB Athletics or anything like that? Yeah, British Athletics did help a lot. Um, I mean, the, the media officer at the time was just really, really kind and she um, she just helped me through all, all the interviews. She was kind of, so if we do a phone interview, it was kind of like a conference call and she would be there and she'd make sure the questions were like legitimate. They weren't going to ask anything controversial. But I think at the time as well, it was when... Um, the BOA had an Olympic ban for if you had failed the drug test, you couldn't compete in the Olympics, even though you were allowed back in the sport. Um, the British Olympic Association wouldn't wouldn't pick you for the Olympics, and it was at a time when Dwayne Chambers was running well. They had had his drug ban, and he was going to court for, for his appeals. He was um, going to the court for the arbitration of sport or something, trying to appeal that he could go to the Olympics. So I was getting a lot of questions like that, and I was thinking. Well, one, I run one fairly decent, it's not even that fast, but a fairly decent hundred metres, and now I'm getting asked all these controversial questions. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the UK Athletics Media Officer was was really good, and um, she helped me through a lot of it. When you're, uh, I, this is quite a good time, I think, to to bring this type of thing up. When you're being asked questions like that, do you ever have the urge to turn around and go, it's not really any of my business. Um, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of times that I do that, especially we, we would get asked questions at stupid times. So, I mean, we would have a race and then immediately after a race, be asked a question about doping and sport or whatever the controversial topic is. Um, I mean, there was one time it was the Castor Semenya situation and you'd be asked straight after one race that, you could get a championship and you're thinking, right, I've got to get back to the hotel, I've got to eat good, I've got to recover, I've got to warm down, I've got to get my massage. And you're trying to prepare for the next round. And then you get asked a question that has no relevance to you. Especially me, like, if I'm in competition mode, like, I barely speak to my family, like, I'm just, right, this is it, this is what I'm here to do. I want to be, I want to beat every single person on the start line, I don't want to be friends with any of them at this time. All I want to do is get on that track and beat everyone. And then you get back and you ask the question. And there's been a lot of times where I've said, oh, I don't really want to comment on this because I'm here to focus on myself. And I'm here to focus on, on getting the job done. But I do also think 
it's, it is our duty when you're outside of that environment to, to give our perspective, I think, because people do look up to, to sports people, they look up to athletes, and they want to know the opinions, and it's, it's down to us to make sure the integrity of the sport is, is kept at its highest, really. So um, I think there's a time and a place that we, we need to be accountable for the actions of athletes, but then, yeah, you do get a time when you're just asking an appropriate question at a stupid time, and you think, oh, God, I just, I'm just here to run, like, let's just calm down a minute. So obviously, with that in mind, what's interesting you said there is you, you're, you're accountable. At some point, you need to be accountable. You need to have an opinion on it. How do you go about educating yourself on a situation? Because like the Casa Semenya situation is a quite complicated one with lots of different intricacies on it. Obviously, if you go via what's heard on the grapevine and stuff, you're gonna <laughs> it's gonna lead you down some odd paths. So. On these type of topics, are you aware that they're probably going to come up so you educate yourselves on them? Or is it that just because you're in the sport, you take a kind of keen interest in what's going around your sport? Um, so I'm a bit of an athletics nerd. So if there is a subject like that, I, I really enjoy learning. If something's in the news, then I try and... Well, I don't necessarily try and learn everything about it, but I, I learn to the interest that, that I'm interested in. And... Um, but at the same time, that's a really, I, I don't think I've ever commented on that because there's no right or wrong answer to that one. It's so, it's so difficult. Um, at the end of the day, people's lives are on the line for, and livelihoods, careers are on the line for no one's fault. Like no one chooses to be in her situation. Um, hers is such a unique situation that I'm just, I'm nowhere, I will never be educated enough to be able to make a comment on, on that particular, um, subject. So, um, there's certain subjects that I will just never, I will never even attempt to answer. Um, but then when it comes to, when it comes to, to some of these things, I think where I said we're accountable, it's for me, the accountability is, for me, I love track and field and I'm not accountable for someone else trying to get me back when they shouldn't be getting an advantage or I'm not accountable for what my rival does but I am accountable in the fact that I want this sport to grow and I want everyone to love it the way I love it so if I can answer questions in a way that's going to put the sport in the most positive light possible that some kid in Mexico might think oh I want to be track and field then that's where I think my responsibility lies Okay that's good it's it- I said, I think that's, a, that's a, obviously a real positive message message to have. And I think what what's helping track and field at the minute is some of the top athletes at the moment are probably ones that are, well, at the moment, at least you, you look at and they are clean. I know, obviously, Usain Bolt was retired and stuff now, but you look at he's a clean athlete, which helps image. Whereas if you look at maybe times gone past, some of the very top athletes just come out subsequently they were they were on stuff which obviously damaging which is sports which is good but it's well from the outside looking at I guess it's something that's going to be a constant battle and you just need to uh, as a sport you want to have more role models like yourself who are going to going to show the the sport in a, in a positive way I guess yeah I think it's to be honest without without saying what what people do is is acceptable but it's just a way of life I think it doesn't matter what what you do when there's money on the line, people always try and get an edge that they shouldn't be. I mean, 
people be playing cards and people people cheat the monopoly. You know I mean? <laughs> if someone's from a from a background where they've never had much money and they're trying to provide for their family, like there's always there's always going to be people that try and um, push the boundaries and go to. It's unfortunate because it does have a, a ripple down effect because kids will see it and think, "Oh, why is I going to do that sport when when everyone's when it seems like everyone's cheating?" But the the fact is, not everyone is cheating, and the majority of athletes are clean. And when you just enjoy the sport as much as I do it, it um. I just want everyone to realise it's it's such a it's the purest sport in terms of you just get from A to B as fast as you can and every kid does that in school, every kid loves doing that in school based on their friends and I just hate that they can see that it's it's really fun and really enjoyable as you get older and training really hard as well and yeah, hopefully a lot of people can see it and hopefully it will one day be completely clean and and everyone will just love it for for what it is. Okay, so kind of going a little bit off this topic and moving forward, something you mentioned previously was that you, you got the qualifying time for London 2012. Um, obviously, moving forward to that, I, I know that you, you went to London 2012. Um, do you want to talk about kind of your experiences of knowing you were definitely going to go, if you like, and then how that was for you? Because, I mean, we, we talk about stuff that's once in a lifetime, but for, for an athlete, it really was because you're not going to have another Olympic Games that's going to be in England in your thing unless you're able to come up with some magical biological solution that takes you back a number of years. So do you just want to talk about what, what that was like for you, that whole event and that feeling of representing yeah, your country in the home Olympics? It, yeah, the whole season was just awesome. Um, it's funny actually because we, we ne- even though we have qualifying times, we never know if we're going to go to a championship until we've had the um, the British trials and the British championships. Um, and I actually came fourth in the two hundred, and because I came fourth, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going or not. Um, and I ended up then going to the European Championships about five days after the British Championships. So. I had a bit, I had a little bit of a disappointing British Championships, um, where I didn't guarantee my selection for, for the Olympics and then picked myself up for, for my, it was actually my first senior championships that I, that I've ever competed in because although I went to debut, I only went for the experience. The, um, relay coach didn't want me to run there. He just wanted me to get a feel for being around the senior athletes and what a senior championships was like. So then we went to Helsinki for the European Championships. Um, and I think I went in ranked 21st, um, and then I kind of I won my heat, and I won my semi-final. I got to the final. Oh my god! I'm in my first senior championships. I've made the final, um, and I've got a chance of a medal here. And then thankfully I came third in in, in that championships, and that then gave me selection for the Olympics. But um, the head coach Charles Van Conley at the time said, "You're not running in the 200 at the Olympics." Um, because you're not going to win a medal. So what's the point of you doing that when you can contribute to the relay team? And I was like, oh, wow, like, it's a bit harsh. Like, I'm only I'm 21 and you just told me I can't, I've got no chance of winning a medal. Um, but way, when he said it, I respected him. And he was he was a great head coach. He was very harsh. A lot of people didn't like him. He was, um, a lot of people thought he was too harsh. But for me, he was all about performance. And for him to just say, you're not going to win a medal, I was like, cool. 
like you know what you're talking about and I'm here to be the best athlete I can be and if you don't think this is going to further my development then like I'm on board with you and I trusted him and he then ended up selecting me for the relay on the third, on the third leg um, and yeah the whole Olympics was, was amazing it was at the time it was the best and worst 15 minutes of my life because we went onto the track and there was 80,000 people screaming for us and the most surreal moment was when Christian Malcolm was on first leg and he came up on the on the big screen and introduced the Great Britain in, in lane two um, for the heat and then we had Jamaica and you know, um, Blake was on my leg and the crowd was going wild, it was so loud, I've never had a crowd as loud as that and then um, yes yeah, so it was the best feeling in the, in the world and then I get into my position, I see Dane Chambers running at me and he was on second leg, about to pass me the baton. I get out, get the baton, then having the best leg of my life. And then me and Adam didn't get the baton through. We exchanged it about a meter outside the box. Um, Adam finished the race. We came second behind Jamaica. We would have qualified for the final. But then on review, we passed the, the baton outside the, the change at the box. And it was crazy. It was so heartbreaking because... I mean, I was 21, I think it was 18 or 19 at the time. Um, we were sharing a room together, we got back to the room, we were getting so much abuse on Twitter, we just had to turn our phones off and people were oh my god, that this is, this is terrible, we're kids at the Olympic Games, um, and we're, we're suddenly getting abuse from people that we've never met before. Adults who are like twice our age just sending abuse at us, we thought, wow, this is, this is crazy. Um, so yeah, I mean it was even though it didn't go well and there was times where it wasn't that nice, I still wouldn't change anything because that home Olympics was just incredible and there's so many positives I could take from it and although there was one night that I didn't enjoy myself, the rest of the whole three week experience was the best in my life at that point. So um there's there was still so much I could enjoy. So Obviously, I, I imagine kind of when you're doing the four by one um, or four or four by four, it's a little bit different to how you're warming up because obviously you're with a team of people compared to being by yourself. How how was like kind of the warm up in in that situation in that situation where you're preparing to come out? You know, you've got your race and however long. What type of things you do? What are you doing? Do you talk to one another? Is it by yourself? What does that look like? So, yeah, the relay is a strange dynamic because we spend all year on our own and we're trying to beat these people because suddenly we're a team. Um, but, yeah, the, the relay warm-ups kind of just consists of we come together at the beginning, we do a few handover drills, we build rounds together, um, just get ready for the, the team aspect of it. And then it's strange because you suddenly, your headphones are running, you're doing individual warm-ups because we all have different coaches, we all have different warm-ups, we have different routines to get ourselves ready um, and then we come together. Well, there's, there's a cool room as well. So we go into a cool room before the race, which is usually about half an hour before the race, where you get all your bibs, you put your, your number of bibs on your main bibs, and you get changed before you go out onto the track. So we come together about a half an hour before the cool room, so about an hour before the actual race to do the last preparations, the last changeovers and, and practice before before we go into the into the pool room. But there's a massive period when you're just on your own. And it's a re- it's really strange because you're looking over to make sure your teammates ready. 
but then you're not used to doing that because you spend the whole season warm up on your own. It's, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's a different experience, but um, again, I, I absolutely love the relay because it is the only time we come together, especially when it goes well and you get all hyped and you're in that team environment and, and you're at the moment I'm watching the um, like the Jordan documentary and you can just see when, when they're doing well how, how amazing it is and you're made as a team when you come together and celebrate as a team and it's nice when obviously you're I'd imagine like you said you're in that cool room and you're, you're stuff you're ready to go out and at that point you're looking around and you've got as you said Johan Blake you've got was Bolt around uh, not in the heat, no. But oh. there was, I can't, I can't even remember who else in the race. I just remember Johan Blake was on my leg and I just thought, oh my God, I'm going to the second fastest person ever. So for you, how how do you, like, as a team or individual, set yourself up to go, I'm not going to be in awe of the people that are around me. I'm just going to focus kind of on my job or, or what I can do here. It's nothing, it's, it's never been anything we, we've spoken about when I've been in the relay anyway, where we've spoke about your position, um, for me, I think I mentioned it earlier, like, once I'm on the track, that's it. I don't care who you are, like, I'm here to do the best I can do. And although I want to win every single race, I'm also very aware that I can't control anybody else. So I want to go on the track and beat absolutely everyone, but I'm racing the same Bolton who breaks the world record. Got to put my hands up at the end of the day because the better person one on the day. But as soon as I step on that track, I don't really care who you are, I don't care what you've done in the past, so I'm here to do the best I can do. And you just got to run well to beat me. Um, so that's the kind of approach I took and that's kind of what I, I do within within the relay situation anyway, whether it's a team event, I can only affect my 100 metre split, um, which tends to be the third leg, but that's all I can affect. So um, everything that goes on around me, for me, it doesn't really matter as long as, as long as I'm doing what I can do in my specific my specific nine seconds of running that, that fly 100 metres. And can you, in that situation, can you feel how the race is developing or can you see if stuff's going right or wrong? So be that if, if you're looking at someone on the, f- the first leg and go actually a little bit behind here or they're, they're miles ahead. Or equally, the example you used there with you and Adam, are you able to see that it's going to be tight as you're about to hand this over, or is it just something that goes quickly as you're going on? No, um, you can definitely, you can, it's, it's, again, it's a strange one because you kind of, for me anyway, I, I block out everything that's going on other than the race itself. So um, I can't hear anything when I'm running at all. Like, I can, Obviously, I know there's noise there, it's loud, but I wouldn't be able to make out anything. It's just complete blur to me because I've got focused in so hard of when Dwayne changes is running down and enters the changeover uh, zone, he then shouts hand. And you've got 80,000 people screaming, and then you can just lean in and hear one person shout hand. So you've got to be that kind of focus. So for me, that focus starts as soon as we get on the track, and I've definitely got a sense of how the race is going. And, when me and Adam weren't going to pass it in, I could. It's hard because I'm trying to maintain my speed and really trying to get to him by the same point, I'm not trying to try too hard because I think, oh my god, he's going to run out the box here. Um, so yeah, you can definitely, there's definitely a sense of, of what's going on and you're, you're very aware of, of what's going on. And then obviously, you've mentioned there, it's 
a heartbreaking time for you and for him, a difficult time in your your thing. I think the stuff on social media, I think you probably did the right thing in terms of turning it off. I think I've listened to the or watched the Michael Jordan documentary similar to you and when you get that much intense pressure on you, I think sometimes the best thing you can do is to shut it out and almost not, not engage with it at all because I don't, I don't think you'll ever win. How did you kind of come out the other end of that? How did people support you or how did you motivate yourself? Because I imagine, although you're 21 and, and whatnot and moving forward, that could be quite a detrimental thing moving you forward for you if you haven't got your head in the right right space from that um yeah definitely i think it sounds it's really bad but i think the fact that there was a period of from about 2010 to 2015 in all those championships and just britain weren't the end of that and round and i think as hard as it was for us, it was almost just like, oh, Britain's done it again. So it wasn't kind of like, it was, it was really, especially because it was Wayne Chambers and Christian Malcolm's last Olympics, and we would have come third in the final. Um, America, somewhere in the American team failed to direct just as well, so we would have been upgraded to silver. Um, so we would have been an Olympic silver medalist right now, but um, as hard as it was for us, I think people were expecting us to drop the baton. And um, not that we were expecting to do it, we didn't go into a race thinking we're gonna, we expect to do this, but there wasn't kind of like that real disappointment of like, this is the first time it's ever happened. Um, I think it helped, it kind of helped in the fact that teams in there in the past have dropped the baton and they're still members of that team within the team and because they helped us for it massively. They, they kind of, they were there to console us and I mean, it was, it was, we were alive for like a couple of days, but you just go, you just learn through all the ups and downs. Your family will, your family will always be there for you. Your friends will always be there for you. The people that matter will always be there for you. Um, and so like not to get too deep and too depressing, but at the end of the day, in like 200 years time, no one's going to remember we even here. So everything that happens doesn't really matter unless you enjoy it. So, I mean, you're not going to, I don't know, as long as you just can try and enjoy every moment that you have in life, that's all you can do because you're not going to live forever, so it doesn't matter what you do. It's a positive message. We'll, we'll, move, we'll move on from there now. <laughs> I guess... Um... Obviously, uh, having spoken to you and intermittently over the last few years, I know that you kind of made a move from University of Bath up to Loughborough. And then obviously, as we spoke about earlier, you kind of fluctuated between here and Texas, right? Yeah. Talk through that move, kind of what, what was your thought process? When did it happen? Um, why did you do it? And yeah. why have you added kind of the American uh, collegiate system into, into your training season and competing season and whatnot? Yeah, so um, I stayed with, with my coach, Dan Cousins, until the end of 2015. Um, and in that time, I won a Commonwealth Games medal. Um, the first champion made world championship team around twenty point 
2-7, I think, in Beijing at the World Championships in 2015. But there was just, there was a, there was a lot going on um, where I just wasn't that that comfortable thinking, right, I'm going to be able to really progress in the, in the way I want, in the, in the way I want to. Um, I think I just didn't have the confidence that I was in the right situation. And I, I'd also been in Bath for such a long time that there was a part of me that just needed something, something new. Um, I didn't really think going into the Olympic Games in 2016 that I could just do exactly the same thing and then suddenly be where I wanted to be. So um, in January 2016, I decided to move to um, Brinkfest. He's a Swedish coach, but he was training in Loughborough. He was a British athletics employee coach. Um, and I started training with Richard Kilty, Harry Okinjariti, David Amorigay, Tom Summers. It was, um, it was a group of about five or six of us. Um, and training with Harry and Kilty in particular, both being really high level 100 meter sprinters, really, really helped me progress. Um, and yeah, that, that season I went into it with a completely fresh mindset, learning new skills, learning new techniques, new, new everything, really new training methods with, with Benji that, um, thankfully it paid off and I made the Olympics and, and ran two PDs there. Um, Again, I was desperate to make the final, but I think I finished tenth and, and just missed out on the final. And um, yeah, I could just look back on that season. I think it was, um, it was a good move to, to move to Loughborough. And so, as you said, there obviously you made the Olympics at Rio and stuff. How did you find those in comparison to London? Obviously, a little bit more senior, a little bit more experience, understanding of what are going to be like. Probably slightly different weather-wise, but how, how was that for you? Um, I, I actually preferred Rio. I think in terms of Olympic Games, it wasn't as good. The crowds weren't as weren't as good. It wasn't as busy. And um, London just put on an incredible show. But for me, I think I was too young in London. Like I remember just running around the, the village. But it was like a it was like a holiday break. We saw Arsene Wenger in the village with the French team. They actually brought him into some sort of like motivational talk, and we thought, oh my god, it's Arsene Wenger, like. Like it's great to see where it was still just I think we were just a little bit too young there. I say that but Adam Adam ran really well in the hundred as well. But um in my opinion I was too young anyway. And in Rio I was just a lot more ready for it. Um I was doing an individual event which I didn't get to do in London. Um and I think just the fact that when I changed coach as well and I did it halfway through the winter season and a lot of people were like, Oh, why can't you change the coach to show a few in Beijing? Um it's a bit strange for me to do that. There's a lot of like questions as to why I was doing things, and I think that that I went there for a while. I really enjoyed it. Um, I just kind of vindicated my decision, and I can look back on that season and think, yeah, the Olympics were were great, and for me, I, I enjoyed it a lot over London. So obviously, that's kind of still where you're based at now for the majority of your training. I'm assuming. Um, well, through, through the summer season, my, my I've actually changed coach now. Um, so after 2017, we obviously ran really well in 2017. We won the, the World Championships in the relay. And that was actually pretty much the last time I'd, I'd raced healthy because I then had a, a really serious ankle injury, which actually started just before the London World Championships. And thankfully, I managed to get through that and run well. But in the October, I then had surgery. What, what was the injury, if you don't mind me asking? It was... um. 
it was the FHL tendon um, going from my ankle to underneath my foot was all like really blocked up and just really I, I can't really even describe it but it was just it just wasn't looking good and they had to go in and kind of scrape all the all of it away and just clean it up basically but then there was a lot of complications in the rehab and the rehab didn't go well at all and then in April 2018 I had to have a second surgery which then just completely killed that season and because I was meant to go to the Commonwealth Games and I ended up watching that the hospital bed actually about I, I watched the change of the of the Commonwealth Games which obviously thought I was going to be in and spend be competing well in and trying to win a medal to watching it in a hotel bed in a hotel bed so a hospital bed about 20 minutes before I was going into my second surgery just thinking oh my god this is this is crap like, what, what was that what was that like what's that feeling like in that situation um it was horrible to be honest but there was, a, there was a lot of optimism because that surgery didn't go well and I just couldn't run from it um I'd actually flown out to to Germany to to go and see Dr Miller Wolfhart to because he's meant to be like the magic doctor and footballers go to see him, a lot of athletes go to see him. Um, and he couldn't do anything to, to help it either, so I thought, well, I'm going to have to get surgery. But there's optimism at the fact that, right, I'm finally going to be able to get over this now. Um, but then watching it, knowing I'm just about to go into surgery and I'm not going to be able to race for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, it was really hard. It was, um, it obviously wasn't nice and a few weeks later, I had to spend my birthday in Bisham Abbey Rehab Centre, rehab with my uncle as well. So there's a lot of moments where that season where it just wasn't enjoyable, um, especially the fact that I couldn't even then go and race at the end of the season. So um, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a tough season really. And then that kind of led to 2019, I had a lot of niggles trying to come back. And I mean, I had one race um, in France, but I wouldn't even really count that as a comeback race because... My ankle and my Achilles were still pretty sore at that point. Um, so although I raced, I don't really consider that a proper comeback. So, um, yeah, that kind of led me to the end of 2018. Point, and I'm just not really enjoying being in Loughborough. So I just saw it as this is where I rehab. And so I made the decision to, to go and train with um, Coach Wilkins Anderson out in, out in Texas. And, um, yeah, I've been there since. And... I then come back to Loughborough in this summer season just for um for the European season really that's where that's where all the races is. So it's it's nice that um I've got this base through the through the summer really. And is there a disparity between what happens over here with the training at Loughborough to the training over in Texas? Um the biggest thing I think is without being rude, I think we're spoiled in the UK. Um we get a lot of funding from UK sport and over in America like they can't they can't they can't really have a proper funding system like we do because there's so many people they don't know who's going to be running well for them the rest of them just can't get on with it they train where they can they all the coaches are professional because they have to make money as well so there's no funding system and the biggest thing I've learned is in my opinion the athletes just want it more because they have to perform better, they have to perform well because they've got a country of 300 million people to choose from. Obviously not all 300 million people are athletes, but they've got, a, they've got a, such a big talent pool that they have to perform so well to be able to represent their country. Whereas over here, we kind of know 
you're always going to get people come through and you're always going to get youngsters come through and upset the, the older generation and upset the, the so-called star athletes in the UK. But over, over here, you can kind of get 70% of, of the Olympic team next season. Whereas over there, you can probably guess like 25% of the Olympic team. So um, there's just a lot more of a competitive drive about that, I think. And is that rubbed off on you at all? Have you taken anything away that you go, actually, this has been a real benefit to me? Um, I think so in terms of just my progression with, with my strength and conditioning, my progression with my specific condition around my ankle is a lot more intense. It's a lot, there's no, there's no holding back and being nice and safe. I think in the UK, um, they have to like, I don't know the best way to describe this, but it's almost, there's a, there's a culture of just being safe and there's a culture of whether it's physios just being like, right, this is my job. I'm employed here. Um, I don't want to mess this up. Or it's a case of, right, we have to protect certain athletes. We have to wrap them in cotton wool and we have to protect our assets sort of thing. Whereas out there, it's just kind of like, right, you're not going to get the work done. You can't, there's no chance of you, of you succeeding because, I mean, I was watching the indoor NCAA before it got cancelled for the coronavirus, but some random guy just ran 20.5 indoors and that's the equivalent of running about 20.1 outdoors. And that's just some random college that just run a time that would place in top 10 of the world championships. There's just four-way people coming through where, and you just need that that driving competitiveness and just the, I'm going to get this done and there's no two ways about it. I guess the next question is where are you in terms of your, your rehab process or your training process and how, how is the ankle? How are you looking moving forward? Um, obviously, it was meant to be Tokyo this year. It's going to be to next year. Where are you at the moment? Um, at the moment, it's all, it's all been going well. I mean, I've been in a lucky situation where I actually haven't missed one training session this whole season. So I'm back to, to being full strength. My ankles are stronger than they've ever been from all the rehab I've done in them. Um, and to be honest, right, I'm just ready to race. Like I've been, I've been ready to race since... March and I was actually meant to start racing in March but then uh, my first race of the season got cancelled within the week of the race because of because of the pandemic so um, yeah it's, it's a weird one because I haven't raced properly since 2017 and I was expecting to have done about four races by now and then it's just kind of like another season where I'm not going to be able to, to have a full season I mean hopefully there's going to be races towards the end of um, World Athletics have just put out um, a bunch of races that they're planning to have go ahead in August, September, and October. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully that will happen. But um, yeah, for me at the moment, I'm in a good place and um, I've been training really well. So I'm just kind of hoping that we can get these races in. And obviously, I know it's hard to say without obviously racing stuff, but timings-wise, would you say you're back to where you were when you were competing at World Championships and Olympics and stuff? Um, I'd say I'm about sort of 95% to, to where I need to be. A time trial the day before I flew home to, to the UK, and we did a 180 time trial, and the time was equivalent to a decent 200-meter time 
but it's hard to say just because it's not competition and you're always a little bit faster in, in competition and uh, maybe it's into a headwind as well but that gave me a lot of a lot of confidence to say right I'm, I'm very nearly back to, to where I want to be okay and then the, the question for me and this is if you could talk through it it'd be really good um, winter training is known as rough ride for, for you guys in terms of as you said earlier trying to increase your adaptive threshold and all that type of stuff could you talk us through what winter training looks like what your daily or weekly monthly schedule looks like uh, during that period and then if possible give examples of the type of sessions that you would do yeah so um with with my new coach we don't try and deviate too much from what we would do in the summer so um all year we stick to the same kind of weekly plan in terms of day one will be accelerations followed by a gym session day two is the endurance session day three is kind of like a active recovery day where we do some circuits we do some movement work and we can have like a 15 minute jog um day four we then do accelerations in gym day five back to endurance and then day six will be sort of like a, a bounding session an explosive session but with the we do a lot of reps for that to, to keep the endurance up so we do bounding over 90 meters which if people have ever done it it's, it's kind of brutal especially in the hamstrings but um we do maybe six six of them but yeah the endurance sessions they vary we go um there's just different there's a, a few different types of them so the, the real hard ones will be sort of it's, it's just it, it really depends so for me the hardest ones would be running up to like 300 meters um but then they change depending on on how many reps so if we're doing more reps it will be a shorter recovery and a bit slower um we want it to be a fast endurance session we might do a 300 a 250 or 200 with 10 minutes rest and it's pretty fast so I would probably actually find those ones harder just because the intensity is higher. Um, like another example of an endurance session would be sort of doing one fifties of off two minutes rest. Um, that you just don't get your breath back and then you've got to do another one and we do kind of like six to eight of them. Um, but then my, my favorite sessions would always just be like the, the sort of faster speed endurance type so it's kind of a mix of mixture between the speed and the endurance sessions where we'll do sort of like 120s with maybe instead of having a really long rest of 10 minutes we'll have six minutes and then that's kind of like the real high intensity work so in your in your plans and whatnot do you ever kind of reenact a race day if you like or is it always looking to kind of periodize your, your training loads and all that type of stuff um no so the main the main purpose of it's like a big accumulation effect it won't it will just really pick up over time and then three months into training you think i don't even know how i've got fit because you've realized that all the works kind of blends into one um but yeah we do do we do kind of do time trials where we do a one-off run so um, like i was saying just before i flew home from, from texas back to the uk we did a 180 time trial to we do that out of blocks and then someone sets us off so it'll be kind of reenacting a proper a proper start um but they're they're not too common they're just kind of to to see where you're at what you've got to work on in training 
Um, and then my approach to competition is always the races are all practice. There's two, for me, there's two important races, which I see as like, this is what I've got to get ready for. And that's the British Championships, which is the trials for whatever championship is that year. And then whatever the championships is, either European Championships, World Championships, or Olympic Games. Um, so they're the two competitions I focus on. And all the other races for me are the kind of practicing different things, whether it's my first 30 meters coming off the bend and the straight or the finish. Um, all the other races within the season are practicing for those two key competitions. And then how much ownership do you get of, of your training schedule and stuff? Or if, if there's a particular area that you feel like you need to work on compared to what your coach feels like you need to work on, how much ownership and dialogue do you get around your, your training schedule? Um, well, I kind of, like, I, w- I will say this is what I think I, I need, but for me, like, I, I just trust him completely, um, especially this new coach I've gone to. He's, he's, he's really renowned in the sprinting world. He's, he's coached a lot of great athletes. Um, and for me, like, I, I just put all my trust in him because if I wanted to change the program, I could just coach myself. Um, I've not gone out, I've not changed my life completely, moved away from my girlfriend and my family. Like I said, the coach is out there, a professional, so I'm not paying him money for me to then tell him what I think I need. Um, I'm putting all my trust in him and, yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll get the results from it. And then moving forward, obviously, I assume you're, tr- you're looking to try and qualify for Tokyo 2021 now. Um, how does that look like for you in terms of have qualifying times been set? Has it adjusted because of COVID, which I assume it would have done to a degree? Um, and yeah, I kind of what's your process? What are you looking to do in the run up to Tokyo? Yeah, so that that's definitely my aim, and obviously I'll go there to be as competitive as possible and try and come home with two medals, both in the in the two hundred and the four by one hundred relay. Especially in the relay, obviously we won the World Championships in London, so I think we can go there and, and beat America. I mean, when you look at it, they've probably got the three fastest men in the world, but I, I believe we, I believe we can beat them, and hopefully I'll be able to come away to the meet them as well. But I mean, it all kind of starts now. Um, for me, that coming back from injury, having more time is is actually a positive for me. Um, I get another full winter with my coach. I get to use this year if we're lucky enough to have races just to just to get back into racing because I haven't done it for so long. So I'm hoping to have a couple of races sort of in September time. Um, and then just go back straight back out to Texas and, and start working for next year. Um, in terms of qualifying, it's probably the 200 meters in the UK is probably the hardest, hardest event to qualify for because it's just so that the talent we have, talent pool we have now is just so deep that it's, we've got five or six guys that are all capable of running under 20.2 seconds and the qualifying time is 20.24. So, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult, but, it's almost an advantage as well because if you make the team then you know you've you've knocked out three guys that can make the final of the Olympic Games and if you make the team in Britain in the two hundred, you know you, you should be in the final of the Olympic Games and challenging the medals. So um it works in it works in two ways. Have you been to Japan or anything before culturally? Have you experienced what it would be like over there? Yeah, so the World Relays um last year were actually in Yokohama and um which is where our, our holding camp's going to be. So we actually got to go to the track where our 
where our preparation camp is and um just got to walk around the, the town that we're going to be spending two weeks in um so yeah we're, but thankfully we've adapted to that we kind of know what it's going to be like to it's always harder to go from um west to east as well so um we kind of learned how to adapt to the to the time zone when you go from the east to the west it's it's much easier to um, to adjust to it so going the other way we, we're kind of learning all that we're learning about food what we should what we shouldn't be eating um yeah just how how we react to the long haul flight going going up towards the east of the world as well so um yeah, thankfully we had that kind of preparation last year. When you're looking back over your career now, and obviously hopefully you've got a few more years left in left in the tank as well, is there anything you look at from your first Olympics in London 2012 to hopefully Tokyo now, where you go actually I've learned or progressed a lot in this in this particular area? Um, I think I've progressed so much in in my psychology. Um. In 2015, I started working with a psychologist, and it's one of the best things I've done. Um, like I meditate, I try and meditate every day, um, and that just really helps me just stay in the moment and just realize all I can do is the best in this moment. And that could be different. Like one race is just really different to the next because I could, I could have had really bad travel to a competition. I could have. I had a really bad night's sleep the night before I just shared a room with someone that was snoring all night. I could have got to the warm-up track and it started raining. So I just learned that all I can do is the best in that moment. And when I'm running, all I try and focus on is my technique and keeping my foot in front of the net in the right way and my specific um, technical cues on the track. And even in just day-to-day life, like I think I mentioned earlier, like I struggle with the anticipation of races. So a week before a race, I start getting really nervous and start thinking, oh, I've done the right things in training. Am I going to be ready to, to run at my best? And so all kind of like the meditation work and psychology work that I've done, I've just learned to just do one thing at a time. So today, for example, but the only thing that's important right now in my life is doing this conversation with you because I can't control anything else right now because this is this is my task in hand. And that's kind of now how I try and live every day. And I think that just has really helped me in track and field and especially when it comes to racing. All I can do is there's no point in thinking about the end time of the 200 meters because until I get to the track, I can't warm up. And then once I warm up, I can then go to the cool room. When I go to the cool room, I can get changed. When I get changed, I can then go onto the track. And when the, the starter calls me to learn my marks, I can make sure I'm in the right position. Then I have to focus on the first step, then I have to focus on the next 10 meters, and 10 meters after that. And I think that's just really helped me to, to get the best out of myself and actually enjoy the process rather than worrying about the end result. Sounds like, yeah, just the, almost enjoying the moment that you're in rather than worrying about something a week from now, a day from now, or, or whatever that looks like. That's it. And I think, um, honestly, what happened to, to Cody Bryant was so tragic earlier in the year, but I remember he always kind of said that you can have whatever dream you have, it doesn't really matter. Like, you can, you may never achieve those dreams, but the actual journey of trying to do it is, is what makes the person who they are and is the, is the enjoyable thing and, 
you may not achieve your dream, but you, you said you'll always achieve something greater because you're living in the moment and you're enjoying what you're doing. And I think that's just something that, that I've always tried to, to do, but especially since I've been doing all my psychology work and working as a psychologist, that's kind of always been the main focus of my training and the main focus of my day-to-day life is to just really... You get a lot of people say, oh, trust the process, trust the process, and it becomes like a, a hashtag on Twitter or whatever. But for me, like, it's it's more about actually just enjoy that process, like actually do the process, not just say I'm going to trust it, actually go through it, do it, and enjoy it. You're actually, get, you're actually whatever you achieve, you're, you'll enjoy the end result because you've really worked for it and you've really actually done it to achieve it. Yeah, I think... Um, I, I mean, I've listened to a few different people that have, that have got a similar sentiment to you. I know watching this Michael Jordan documentary, the one thing Phil Jackson has said is you're only like a winner at the moment that you complete that act. So like the week after or the day after the Chicago Bulls were like, well, we were the world champions then, but you know, now we've got to do it all over again type of thing. And I think enjoying that process and that that grind, because you're not at the top for very long if you are at all. You know, you, you're never, it's particularly in sport, there's always someone who's going to be coming up after you and, and whatnot. So you've got to enjoy the, pro, the, the process, as you said there, of trying to reach that goal. And uh, hopefully there'll be some memorable bits along the way, which I'm sure for you there has been. Um, I guess my last, my last question for you and something that I ask everyone, um, which is who's the best athlete you've competed with or against or coach you've worked with or against and why? Um, the, the best athlete is obviously Usain Bolt, um, just because in my opinion he's a top five sports person of all time. I put, I put him on a level with Muhammad Ali. Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Serena Williams, I think they're my top five along with, with Usain Bolt. So um, in terms of if he is the best athlete I've ever come across or competed against. Why? Um, just his talent at the end of the day. Like he, he was that good. He transcended the whole sport. He, um, he was truly dominant. You get, you get people that are dominant in their sport, but if he took that to another, another level, he just didn't lose. Um, he was literally unbeatable when he hit 2008 to uh, when he won his last Olympics 2016. And he came third in London at the World Championships, but that's because he was meant to retire after Rio and didn't take that season seriously at all. He just waved into the crowd in all the races. And if he took that season seriously, he would have won the World Championships 2017 as well. But I think, to be honest, I feel like that's a little bit of a cheat answer for me just because I'm in a sport where I compete against one of the greatest athletes of all time across all sports. So I've changed my answer a little bit and it's kind of a tie for me between, without being disrespectful to any British athletes as well, any other British athletes, but I'd say Adam Jamelia, Nathaniel, Mitchell Blake, just because of their competitive mindset. Um, they, they're not the fastest athletes I've ever raced against, but they're, they're just so competitive and they're so, they're just going to give whatever they have in their day, they're going to get a little bit more out of themselves then. And I mean, 
Adam could turn up to a track and be in 10 one shape and run 10 zero. Nathaniel could turn up to a track and be in 24 in one shape and run 1995 because they've just got that ability to get every little bit out of themselves. Um, and I think that's something that, that I've always tried to learn from them. Um, thankfully, I think I've got that in me as well where I go to championships and, and tend to run as the best or season's best. So when I, whenever I come up against 82, I just think, I've got to be on my game. It doesn't matter what their season best is. If it's a big race like the British Championships, they're going to be faster than what their season's best is. Perfect. Well, listen, Dan, I appreciate you giving up a lot of your time and it's nice to obviously catch up and whatnot. And um, I'm glad to hear that the ankle and the injuries are hopefully on the, on the mend and moving in the right direction. And fingers crossed, we get some some sport and some athletics towards towards the summertime of this year, but I'm sure everyone who listens here will, will realise what I already knew, which is you're a very um, personable and humble guy who is very easy to root for. I know that um, I'm, I'm friends with some of the guys from uni and we all talk about you very fondly in terms of you're a guy who's competing on a you know an international level and you wouldn't you wouldn't have known you would have thought you were just a guy that was wanted to come down the pub with us type of deal even though you didn't i have to say that but yeah you're um, you're a real nice guy so i wish you all the best in, in your endeavors and i'm most sincerely hope that you, you you do well in tokyo and the build up to it oh no thank you thank you Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.